1: Sometimes we get into a familiar situation. All is going great. Everything's going well. We're on the top of the world. I'm the king of the world in front of the Titanic. Get my drift? Everything's going our way. We've been blessed by God. We turn our back because we don't need him anymore. We start to drift away. We feel that we've made our own way. We've misunderstood our spiritual roots. We forgot who
0: brought us to this place that we are now. The blessings of God can easily be turned into a burden if you grab hold of them and fail to release them back to Him. As Pastor Dave warns in today's message, the temptation in that place of blessing is to grow complacent and independent and forget how desperately you need a Savior. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 6 as he continues his message, Witnessing Through History.
1: Jesus says something very interesting in Luke 21, verses 10 through 19. We looked at it a little bit last week. He told the the disciples that they would be brought before magistrates and kings. And he told them not to worry what they would say. But in Luke 21, 13 and 15, he gave them confidence because he says, when you speak, this is going to happen. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. In other words, when you're brought before the kings and magistrates, you're going to use this as a time to witness me. You're going to use this in your life. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate what you're going to say beforehand or what you'll answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom by which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You see this happening in Stephen's life. Stephen waste no time. Woohoo! Stephen's ready to go, man. He's ready to the charge. He jumps in there, and he's given an opportunity to speak the truth into the hearts of the council. This was all the opening Stephen needed. I mean, after all, he had a captive audience. I mean, think about it. Who was the captive and who was the captor? I'm not really sure. Who was holding whom hostage? Not really sure. Here. Stephen begins to dress his, the, the uh, council. And he says something interesting. In verse 2 of chapter 7, he says, he uses this term, the God of glory. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And he ends his speech, when we get to it, in 755, with the glory of God. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. It's interesting that the entire time Stephen is speaking to the council, that exact same glory of God radiated from his face. They were witnessing the glory of God in their presence, and they refused to believe it. Although they looked at it steadfastly, they, believed, they refused to believe it. Stephen's face is reminding the council that Israel is the only nation in the entire world that is privileged to have the glory of God as part of their inheritance. Israel had been given the glory of God as part of their inheritance. Look at what Paul says in Romans 9, verses 3 to 5. Paul is lamenting, I mean really broken up, about the Jews, about them coming into the kingdom of God, and he's lamenting. His heart is broken, but he says this, For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. He's saying, I want to give up my salvation. I want to be a accursed that they would know Jesus Christ. They've been giving all these good. Look at the things they've been given. They've been given the adoption, the glory, the covenants. They've been given the law. The Jewish people have been given all these things, Paul says. It's a shame, but the glory of God departed from Israel. The glory of God departed from them. In fact, it departed from the tabernacle in Samuel 1, 4, 19-22. It departed from the temple in Ezekiel ten four and 18. But God's glory returned to earth, and it returned in the form of a man, in the form of a child. His name was Jesus Christ, and he was the Messiah, because John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among them, but they rejected him. They rejected the glory of God. They rejected him. In verses 2 to 8 that we read earlier in Acts 7, Stephen speaks of Abraham whose relationship with God was one of grace and faith. God appeared to him and called him out of the heathen land that he was dwelling in. God called Abraham out of the darkness into his marvelous light of salvation, and Abraham responds by faith, by going. We look at verse 2 and 4a. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives, and come to the land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. Here we see the nation's misunderstanding of their spiritual roots. They're starting to misunderstand their spiritual roots because it's well documented, and believed that God gave special privileges to those who occupied the land. He gave them special privileges. But unfortunately, the results of those blessings Well, they felt that they didn't need a Messiah to save them. They felt they didn't need this Jesus as Messiah because they had the land. They thought the land was the promise. They thought the land was where the blessings were. And even though the law and the prophets prophesied about a coming Messiah, they viewed that the land they dwelt in was the answer to God's promise. It was their blessing. This is a scary place for us. Things are going too well for Israel. They're in the land, and they have what they believe to be God's promise. They don't need a Messiah to save them. Sometimes... We get into a familiar situation. All is going great. Everything's going well. We're on the top of the world. I'm the king of the world in front of the Titanic. Get my drift? Everything's going our way. We've been blessed by God, but we turn our back on Him because we don't need Him anymore. We start to drift away. We feel that we've made our own way. We've misunderstood our spiritual roots. We forgot who brought us to this place that we are now. Stephen points this out right to the Sanhedrin. He points out that God promised the land to Abraham and he revealed it to Abraham even before he dwelt in the land, even before he set his foot there. Look at verses 4b to 5a. He argues this point. And from there, when his father was dead, he, God, moved him to this land in which you now dwell and God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. What is Stephen talking about here? What is the point that Stephen is trying to make? He's saying to Israel, you missed it. You missed it. It was in your midst, the glory of God, but you've missed it. The presence of God and the relationship that you could have with God, you missed it. God blessed Abraham even though he didn't occupy the land. He didn't even set foot on it. Let me take you back to the book of Exodus and Moses goes up to the mount to see the burning bush. You remember, always quote the Ten Commandment movie with Charlton Heston. Moses. Love that. What's the first thing God said to Moses when he got to the burning bush? What's the first thing he said? Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. It was sand. It was in the middle of the desert on a mountaintop. What made the ground holy? God was there. That's what made the ground holy. The ground wasn't holy because it was holy. It was holy because the presence of God was there. The presence of God. And this was what Israel had. Israel had the presence of God and they departed from it. ground was holy because God was there. The presence of God in your very, very midst. He came in the form of a man, Stephen's saying. He came in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. It was God's only son, and you crucified him. You don't know where your spiritual roots are. You had the very presence of God in your midst, and you refused to look at it. We see Israel. What's Israel worried about today? What's their main worryment today? The land. Putting up blockades, putting up all kinds of things to protect their land. They've forgotten all about the presence of God. They're protecting their land. See, they're misunderstood here. God is the blessing, not the land. Are we, you, me, are we so busy trying to hold on to something that we're denying the presence of God in our lives? Are we too busy trying to hold on? Maybe we're trying to hold on to our life. Well, Jesus clearly said, Give up your life, and you'll find it. Are we too busy holding on something that we're missing the presence of God? Don't get me wrong. I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm really excited about it. But to be quite frank, if Jesus isn't there, I don't want to go. I desire heaven, but I desire the presence of God more. I want his presence in my life. We used to sing a beautiful, beautiful song. It said, I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory. I want to be where you are, Lord. That's my desire of my heart. I want to be where he is. Guess what? He's everywhere. He's ever-present. And you brought him with you today when you came to this place. And I can guarantee you, he's here today. Wherever two or more are gathered, I'm appearing in their midst. He's here today, and we welcome him here. This church building is empty. This is not the presence of God. God is present because you brought him. God is present because we're here. He's in us. We can't get away from him. David made it quite clear in Psalm 139. David made it it quite clear when he says this in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. David knew that our God is ever present. He is always with us, and it's his presence we seek. I want to be ever aware of his presence in my life. I always want to seek him. When does a trial cease in your life? When God appears in your life, trials seem to fade away. Trials seem to melt away. Circumstances may not change, but your entire attitude about the trial changes because God has appeared. Stephen's telling the leaders, Stephen's said, guys, you missed it. He continues this argument in verse 5 eight, to 7. He says, But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give him to a poss- for a possession, give the land, and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Here's another problem where they misunderstood the roots, they're missing understood the roots. They thought the land was the blessing when it was the presence of God. And here there's another problem. God promised the land to Abraham's descendants. And then they told that Abraham's descendants would suffer in Egypt before they came to the land. We know that was fulfilled in scripture. You read through Exodus how they came out of the land, how they want. See, God from the beginning had a great plan for his nation, but he wanted them to trust and obey him. God has a great plan for your life, but he wants you to trust and obey him. It's the same principle here. He's willing to show himself strong on your behalf. When you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, when you come to the knowledge that he's God's only son, that when you believe upon his name, when you believe in the relationship that God sent him to the cross and he died for you, he died for me, then the blessings flow. God wants us to trust in his word and obey his commands, and our command is to believe upon Jesus Christ. See, the Jews revered Abraham, and they prided themselves the we're Abraham's kids. We're Abraham's kids. But they confused physical descent with spiritual existence. And they depended on their national heritage rather than a personal faith. Abraham had a personal relationship with God. Abraham and God spoke to each other. John the Baptist warned them about this very sin in Matthew 3, 7 to 12. And Jesus said in John 8, to 59, but the Jews were blind to the simple faith that Abraham had and the other patriots. And they cluttered it with man-made traditions that made salvation a matter of good works. Sound familiar? It's happening all over the nation in churches today. Oh, Jesus is okay, but you got to have this, 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 and this. No. It's called sola fide in Latin. Faith alone. You don't need anything else but faith in Jesus Christ. That's according to the Scriptures. And we must get it for ourselves. Israel, here's the problem. Israel was relying on Abraham. We're Abraham's kids, so therefore we're saved. No, 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 no. Just because your mom was a Christian, just because your dad was a Christian or a pastor, just because your children are Christian and you're not, doesn't mean that all of a sudden you'll be grafted in. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. You can't come in by your heritage. Doesn't work that way. The Jews prided themselves on their traditions, and here we come to the third point. They prided themselves on the their traditions like circumcision. Look at verse 8. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. Traditions are very important to the Jews. So much so that these traditions started to take priority over the commandments of God. It's happening here today in the churches around that we know. Jesus railed against the Pharisees about this in Mark 7. In verses 6-9, look what he says to them. He said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things, he said to them. All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition." Traditions become important. Circumcision becomes important. Doing things this way, doing that that way. Liturgy becomes important. So much more important than faith in Jesus Christ. And we get ourselves following liturgy, which was man-made, instead of Christ, who is God. And we end up wondering why we've gone wrong. We're following the wrong things. It's interesting that they prided themselves in their traditions. They prided themselves. Look, Abraham circumcised Isaac on the eighth day. They failed to realize That circumcision was a symbol of an inner thing. It was a a symbol of an inner thing, an inner relationship with God. And Stephen is going to point this out to them in verse 51 of chapter 7 when he screams at them and says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Well, they liked that so much they decided to kill him for that. Stephen doesn't pull any punches. But look what the apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, 1 to 6. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we know through the Spirit, eagerly await for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. He's saying, don't rely on your salvation by works, like circumcision, by the traditions. It comes by faith and faith alone. The Jews had lost the reality of the Lord. And over the years, this reality got less and less and less. And these traditions took over. They took the place of their enjoyment. They took the place of their reality. They've lost sight of the Lord. Stephen witnessed through history. Stephen witnessed to them that they believed in the land, that that was the material blessing instead of the presence of the Lord. Stephen believed, excuse me, they believed that being Abraham's descendants gave them spiritual superiority because of their heritage and depending upon that instead of relationship with God. They trusted in their traditions instead of trusting in the Messiah. It's very interesting that I alluded to this last week, that sitting in this council was a young man Later to be find out he's called a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He becomes the Apostle Paul. He wrote the scripture. I just read about this. And I'm sure he's listening intently to what Stephen says so he can write down points. He's going to argue with him, and he's going to point some things out if he gets the chance. Paul wanted to defend his God. He was zealous about his religion. He wanted to defend. He wanted to get rid of the, this, uh, rid his country of this new way that was coming on. What Paul didn't know during this time that we see at the end of the chapter. We know he was there because he held the coats of those that slayed Stephen and he consented under their death, it says, at the end of chapter 7 or beginning of chapter 8. We know that Paul was there. It's really interesting that one who is so close to God and wants to uphold all these traditions is actually fighting against God. Fighting against the God, the living and true God. Are you fighting against the living and true God today? Are you upholding the traditions of men rather than his command to believe in Jesus Christ? Are you fighting to hold on to your traditions? Because if you are, you're fighting against God. Paul sees everything that's said. He sees Stephen's face and he's being convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just pounding him with conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's interesting because in chapter 9 we'll see Paul on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, he's knocked off that horse of his, that high, high horse of his. And he asks the right question. He asks the right question. And then Jesus tells Paul who he is and explains to him, Paul, his problem. Let me read it to you. Chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 5. And Paul said, who are you, Lord? That's a great question. That's the best question Paul could have asked. Who are you? The Lord said, I'm Jesus. Who are you persecuting? Who you are persecuting? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Here he tells Paul his situation, and he's telling Paul his problem. Jesus actually has a mini parable here. It's a mini parable, if you will. He says, Paul, why are you doing such a futile thing? See, a goad is a long, extremely sharp stick that is used to keep ox going and get them to go where you want them to go when you're plowing. You would jab the hind legs of the ox and it would make them be cooperative. But they would kick against it because they didn't like it. Nobody liked that. Essentially here, Paul is the ox. Jesus is the farmer. Paul is dumb and stubborn like the ox, yet he's very valuable and potentially extremely useful to Jesus. Jesus is goading Saul in the right direction, and the goading causes Paul pain. When the Lord's working in your heart and convicting you, I can guarantee there'll be pain. I can guarantee there'll be pain when you're being convicted by the Lord. But instead of submitting to Jesus, Paul kicks against the goads, and this only increases his pain. Is it too much to say that if we don't ask the right questions and listen to God's answers, we're acting like dumb oxen? You may be angry at me for comparing God or comparing you to oxen, but God did it, I didn't do it, and I know it's very very unfair to have this uh, have this comparison because after all, the ox never rebelled against God. But we did. Maybe we need to get in touch with our spiritual roots today. Maybe we need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the true faith. Are we cruising along at high speeds? Hair blowing in the wind, if you have any. Hair blowing in the wind, having a great time, and all of a sudden you're not relying on God. You're just cruising, not relying on God. You have everything you need. Maybe we don't think we need God anymore. Well, guess what, my friends? You need a history lesson. Maybe you've ignored the presence of the Lord. Maybe you forgot where you put the Lord. Well, you better look in your heart, because that's where he's supposed to be dwelling. Maybe you've left the presence of the Lord. Maybe you're considering material things as the blessing of God and not God himself. Time for a history lesson. Maybe you think because you were born in a Christian family. Maybe you think because your father was a pastor. Or maybe you think because you've come from a long line of Christian people that you don't need Christ. I mean, after all, they were Christian. Surely some of that has to rub off on me, right? You need a history lesson. Time for a history lesson. Maybe you're relying on your traditions. Maybe you're relying on the traditions of men that you think your heart and your good works are good enough for salvation. Maybe you think, well, you know what? If I just do this, if I'm just really good and give to the poor and you know, give some school supplies, and, and if I do this and I do that and work hard for the church, maybe I'll get in. You need a history lesson. You need a history lesson. Maybe today God has really blasted you. Maybe he's really convicted you. Maybe he's been on your back for quite some time now. And you just keep kicking against that goad, and you can't understand why it keeps getting sharper and sharper. And you can't understand why the pain gets greater and greater and greater. Stop kicking against the goads. Come to Christ and salvation. Get a history lesson. Learn from history. You know, when the children of Israel came back, when they repented every single time in the book that they came back to God, even when they were in captivity... God showed up every single time. That should be so encouraging to us. You can never get far away from God where you can't come back. Never. He will always welcome you back if you come back and you repent and you come back. He will forgive you and he will remember your sin no more. Christ tells the church of Ephesus that you have left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen, repent, and do your first works. What are my first works? Believe. Believe in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Your first work is to believe. Let your history be a witness of God's faithfulness in your life. Let others see your life and know the history of where you've come from and be drawn to God through Jesus Christ. That's where the faithfulness is. We need to return to Him. We need to have a history. Amen? You are assuring.
0: Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. We encourage all our listeners to spend time daily in the Bible, learning from the timeless text that your Creator has given you. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor Dave's teachings from this series in Acts or explore messages from other books of the Bible, you can do so by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. If you'd like a CD copy of today's message, we'd be happy to send you one. Just give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. We're so blessed to be able to share God's Word with you with each new edition of Assure Hope, but we want to encourage you to find a local church to attend regularly as well. Being a part of the body of Christ gives you a place to learn and grow with other imperfect people while providing an outlet for your unique God-given gifts. If you're in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship and Bible study, and childcare is available. We're excited to have you join us. For more information and to get directions, visit assurehoperadio.com. That brings us to the end of our program for today. Thanks for tuning in to Pastor Dave's study in the book of Acts today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.